Hey. What's going on, my friend? What's going on? Oh, wow. Something's going on. Oh, sorry. What's going on, my friend? <laughs> Apologies. Was... I, had to do a, I had to do a little applause. You know what I'm saying? Oh, why is that? I don't know. It was because it was an opening. It was like, ah, you know, no, it didn't work out. Never mind. Oh, for well, no, I li- no, I like what you did last week. Yeah, I know. I just figured and you I'd did it today it on your show earlier today, too. That's yeah, why I, I made that comment. Oh, see, I should have did that then. Well, you want to know what? What? Yeah, yeah. Is that why that comment didn't make sense to you? Because you looked at it and you went, no, it made sense. It made sense. I just thought that you, you were laughing about it. So, like, you know, it was like, oh, no, funny. no, no. I was just yeah. saying you did the same thing last week, too, and it was funny. Oh, okay. Well, I'll do it, you know, I'll have to do it more often. <laughs> hey, how are you, Kel Rig- uh, Ridley? Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for tuning in, Chris. Appreciate you guys and tuning in, John, always. Thank you so much, brother, for the support. Well, I was just talking to, I was talking to uh, Kel just before the show. Oh, she sent me me her dress because uh, she's getting married in July. Oh, congratulations. And uh, I'm very happy for her and Matt. And uh, I told her that I was going to send her a wedding gift. Oh, awesome. So that's why I needed her dress. Now, I rethought that. And I go, well, why don't I just look for a store in her area and buy it from there and have it delivered from there? That would be smarter. Yeah, it would be smart. It would save me a lot of money on shipping. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> let me well, let, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. A little thin book like Kel, this. you are not worth shipping prices. I'm sorry. Well, no, I'm just listen, I'm just joking. Okay. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Listen, listen. my mother sent yeah. a book uh to the UK yeah. for my niece, and it was literally 15 pages. Okay, and I'm not lying. It was very, very, very thin, very light. But you know what it cost her in shipping charge? Oh, I can just take a wild stab. Um, at least over twenty bucks. It was under just under a hundred dollars. Oh, that is wild. That is wild. Oh my god. Now Now I know why Robin didn't want to ship anything. (laughs) Now put it in perspective. That yeah. if I were to, let's say, for example, I bought them a, not saying this is what I'm going to buy them. I'm just using this as an example. If I were to buy them a picture frame or something like that, like a really, really nice, maybe gold-plated picture frame. Just yeah. example. Yeah. Example. For example, what do you think that's going to cost me? Oh, I can only I imagine. would say probably it's going to be close to $200. Oh, my God. Yeah, at least. Okay. If you were to buy the same one at a a store near them and ship it, you would save yourself the amount of money and almost 75%, you know? Okay. So I know somebody that said. Look at at Kel scared. Look at, she's like, I'm scared. Now now she doesn't know what she's receiving. A friggin' (laughs) uh, gold plated friggin', you know, thing. You know, like, oh man, I feel so bad. I yeah personally I think if I flew there for the wedding that would be gift enough. What do you think? No, definitely not. I mean, you're not that beautiful. You know what I mean? You're not that beautiful. I'm sorry to say. No, Kel, agree with good. me it's on this good. one. Agree with me on this one on Kel. Come on. So let me let me give you another example, okay? So I know yeah. somebody that sent a purse 
to uh, to uh, Kuwait. Okay, and a yeah. purse is not that heavy, but the box it's go the box it's got to go in, and then packaging and all that stuff. So it doesn't weigh that much. Probably probably under a pound. Okay. Yeah. It cost her five hundred and seventy five dollars. Wow. To ship that's her shipping. The purse was three hundred dollars. And then the shipping was two hundred. Yeah. Wow. So it that's under. That's, it was over five hundred. The shipping. That's oh, the shipping was just alone over five hundred. Wow. That is intense, dude. That's a thousand dollars just to get a present. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's yeah. a lot of money. It is a lot of money. Um, and you know what? One thing I don't think anybody ever does is question UPS, FedEx, and all those companies. Nobody questions them. No, we just go what they're charging. Yeah. It's outrageous. And then um, depending on what you send to the UK, uh, it could get stopped at the border and the people on the other side might have to pay for a cost of the border crossing on top of that. Oh, my gosh. That's so sad. And But the thing is, nobody questions it. Yeah. Nobody ever. I've never heard anybody question. Yeah, you don't see one person protesting over that. No. Because you just don't know. No, yeah. (laughs) No, you're right. Honestly, unless you're working for the company and then somebody from the company comes out and says something. But other than that, you never, ever hear anything, anybody complain about about shipping shipping charges. So I know that sometimes what happens if you sell merchandise, for example, um, I had some merchandise sent from me from the States coming to Canada and I had to pay a a border crossing tax. That's wild. Yeah. And it was, and I think it was, I believe it was two shirts and the shirts for a total, I think, would have been 70 bucks. Well, hey, like come 10, to our country right now. We got free free border crossing. So come on over. You know what I mean? Well, those are people, though. Yeah, well, <laughs> true, true. But you know what, though? Just hire one of them. Give them a package. They'll uh, bring it to us. All right? You, you know uh, what I'm saying? I'm telling well, you, it'll be their first job in America. They'll be happy. Think about it. Well, we can get jobs. On the top, yeah, we can get on the topic of politics. I don't no, know if anybody no, in this room not. last night. I don't know if anybody in the room last night uh, or in the room right now watched the MMA fights last night. Now I didn't see them, um, but I didn't see I'm not them. Really, yeah. I'm not really an MMA fighter fan, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, but apparently, and it was shown on TikTok, and there's a lot of videos on TikTok about this. Everyone, I think there was something like seventy thousand people there, or something like that. Yeah, watching or third somewhere between forty and seventy thousand, they were all saying, "Sorry, Justin, Mister Trudeau." They were saying, uh, "Put it nicely." They were saying, "F you, Justin Trudeau. He's our yeah. prime minister of our country." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So he's not uh, he's not looked upon very nicely in this country no. right now. No, not the, at all. For the amount of money that he's given away. Yeah. Um, and we could go on we can go on a tangent about that uh how much money this guy's given away since he's been in office but yet we can't we can't we can't house our homeless and we can't pay our veterans and oh don't even you know, get me started we don't man. have cheap housing 
you know, all those things. We can't, we can't afford any of that stuff. But just not too long ago, he gave away $370 million to the Ukraine. Listen, we're giving away billions and we can't even take care of our own veterans or homeless and veterans die every 10 seconds in this country. So I know exactly the anger that you have, man. It's like it's like the the cost of life means nothing to these people. You know what I mean? And it's just like the money just goes and then we have to pay it back as taxpayers, which isn't fair. You know, and then on top of that, the 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 ridiculous, the ridiculous amount of food costs in this country is going through the roof for so yes. for something that maybe two years ago you go to the grocery store um, for the amount of grocers you had just a just a ball ballpark number eighty dollars today that eighty dollars is no longer it's more like two hundred so yep. what you were spending two years ago which cost you around eighty dollars is now costing you over two hundred now. Yeah. And it's just absolutely crazy what's going on in this in this country here. And I'm sure it's the exact same in the States. But, yeah, it's just the the price of living is all for this whole war thing, all for this whole war thing. Yeah. All for this whole war thing and for the wrong people being in office, giving to the wars instead of giving to the right people, which is their own. And that's a whole nother discussion. But. You know, it's just sad. It's just very sad to see how the world is, you know? Yeah. But getting off that topic, because we could talk about that topic for the next three hours. Uh, Yes. It's absolutely. But I love to see those TikTok videos last night. I'm telling you. Apparently, he is calling for an election uh, this year. Um, So uh, be sometime in November. I don't imagine he will be in office. I'd hate to be him. Yes. Yeah. But uh, I think he's going to lose big time but anyways other than that um you had a great show today you and jonathan had a great show with uh nancy uh thames or thames. Tan- tang uh, t- uh i don't even want to say it because i forgot thames how she said this it's time yeah tame time tames tames i is believe it tams? It is. tams i think it's tams. i don't want to see i feel so bad because like i told her i don't want to say it because i feel bad i'm bad at names so i, I didn't want to say it i think okay. the h is silent yeah, she's an amazing person. She's yeah. been a, a lifelong UFO contactee. So yeah. I wanted to get her on, and uh, we're definitely going to have her on again and, and get deeper. So cool. So um, today's video had lots of problems with this video. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I put it through. Uh, I like to do a little bit of editing here and there with these videos that I do uh, or that we show. Uh, but for some reason, I edited it. I rendered it and for some reason it didn't want to play so um no video today i'm sorry folks no i'm just kidding no yeah right (laughs) there is a video today um the actual video that i downloaded so i this is unedited well i'm not showing the first part of it because we don't want to show the clip the intro of the other people that had this video yeah (laughs) so i'm being honest no hey hey be honest Hey, I didn't go honest. out and film this. You didn't no. go out and film this. So, no. But you know what? I really, really want to show the motive at some point down the road, which was my initial video that I wanted to start with. So we yeah. will play that video down the road because I think people will really, really enjoy the motive about that kid uh, that unfortunately took um, his uh, parents and his sister's lives. But this guy today. Um, yeah, this guy's a crazy one. 
<laughs> yeah, well, it's what we yeah, say. He's crazy. Week. He's yep. crazy. Yeah, yep. he's crazy. And you know what? He's 78 years old right now, and he does not look good. No. And he, no. you know what? Hey, no. that's what happens. Karma yeah. comes around. Yeah, he doesn't look good at all. I'm looking at him right now. He looks, he's 78 years old, but he looks like he's about 99. Yeah. So, he does. yeah, he looks, he looks bad. He looks really bad. So this guy was born November 22nd in 1945. He is now the age of 78. Now, from what I understand, from what I was reading on different articles, uh, he uh, has possibly killed over 50 people between the years of 1975 and 1990. It's They think it's over 50 people. Now, I noticed I read one article. He's only been charged with two counts, but I thought he was charged with three of the murders. Mm. Obviously, we're going to watch the video, but uh, obviously this man is never getting out of jail. Uh, he's going to spend the rest of his life in jail uh, for, you know, he's looking 99 years old right now. I'm wondering if he's if he's even going to be much longer, to be honest. So, yeah, he was actually uh, apprehended on uh, April 1st, which is kind of ironic. Eh? April Fool's Day in 1990. Yeah. But uh, we're going to show this video today. It's good. Um, obviously, what this guy did was not good. You Americans. Now, I will say I will say this. This is not a bashing of the UK this week. No, it's a bashing of US. It's great. It's an American. Yeah. <laughs> it's to show me. how crazy we really are. Yep. Well, I love yeah. it. I love yeah. it. I love well, it. Well, I think we've I think we both know that Canadians are not far off because of what we showed about four weeks ago or three weeks ago. So yeah. Have a great show. Thanks, Kelly. Does that mean you're not staying? <laughs> Yeah, she's fed up with us now because she found out about her picture frame. You know, it's over with. You know? Oh, I'm sorry. I would never give anybody a picture frame for a wedding gift. Oh, let's, man. Let's yeah. just get that out. I've already, I already know what I'm going to get them. I, I thought about it last night. So Nice. Uh, nice. And it's going to be nice. They're going to gonna like it. But Good. I want to wish them uh, both the boast of uh, the both of them uh, best of luck in their marriage. Yes. Um, not a fan, to be honest. Uh-oh. <laughs> of marriage. Of marriage. Okay, yeah. So you had to yeah. verify that last not part Not a fan there. of marriage. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Marriage is no. great. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you had a rough time with it. You had a rough time with it. So, yeah, yeah let's, let, 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 let's move on. But anyway, this guy is serious. He's, uh, he's another crazy, and I'm excited to see this. So... <laughs> Let's pull this up and let's get this started. Let's let's let me ask you: Is that your? Is that your? Uh, this guy's crazy. Is that? Your, yeah, that's my. This guy's crazy. I don't even crazy. know what I, What I, that's your? You know, that's your description or your analysis. I don't know. Anyways, let's just play the video. Oh that's my crazy. god! <laughs> what am I trying to say? What am I trying to say? It's like is that's that my your, motto. No, I, I'll think about it. I'll think All about right. it. In the show. All right. Okay, here we go, folks. Robert Ben Rhodes, the uh, truck stop killer. Across the nation, a serial rapist targeted unsuspecting women. It was only a matter of time till his dark urges raged out of control and led him to murder. He followed a path so random it was impossible to trace. And all that tied him to his crimes 
who has access to the highways and a bizarre sexual fetish. I'm Jim Kalstrom, former head of the FBI's New York office. When investigators believed the suspect had committed dozens of murders, the FBI was determined to put the brakes on his nationwide rampage. February 5th, 1990. On a road in Houston, Texas, 18-year-old Nicole Tuttle desperately tried to flag down passing motorists. Someone finally stopped for the bruised and bleeding woman. Oh my God. The driver took her to the closest phone to call police. At the Houston police station, Nicole told officers that she had been kidnapped and assaulted, but she'd managed to escape. Her ordeal began in California one week earlier. On January 29th, she hitched a ride from a trucker at a rest stop. He said his name was Dustin and that he was headed east through Arizona. After a few hours on the road, she fell asleep in the back compartment of his truck. It seemed that was exactly what he was waiting for. He climbed in back and overpowered her. Before she was fully awake, he chained her to the walls and gagged her with a horse bit. The trucker whipped her and pierced her with pins and fish hooks. He also raped and sodomized her. Nicole told police that she was chained inside the cab for six days. Her ordeal didn't end there. Inside his Houston apartment, the trucker allowed her to bathe, then chained her to the bed and raped her again. She watched helplessly as he approached her with a straight razor. He pressed the blade close to her scalp and began to slice off her hair. After three hours, he forced her back into the truck. This time, he failed to bind her. When they stopped at a brewery, he left her alone as he walked inside to sign for his new freight. You know how many days that you were in the truck? Nicole knew this might be her only chance. Where did you... She ran for it, still wearing a dog leash around her neck. Houston police stopped a trucker in the area whose rig fit Nicole's description. She said he was not the man who attacked her. A background check revealed no outstanding warrants or convictions, so police released the trucker. Nicole told the officers to stop searching. She was too frightened to testify against her attacker. She just wanted to go home to California. On February 5th, the same day that Nicole escaped, another young woman was on the highway thumbing for rides. Just 15 miles away in Pasadena, Texas, 14-year-old Regina K. Walters was running away with her new boyfriend. Her parents were divorced, and Regina usually stayed with her father in Houston. She'd been visiting her mother for a few days when she fled and began hitchhiking. Whether she was following the lead of her new teenage boyfriend or just testing her independence, a trucker soon stopped for the pretty young girl. Right. 
Regina's mother, Carolyn Walters, was a single mom who worked long hours as a department store clerk. When she came home from work, she was surprised to find her daughter was not home. Regina? Her daughter did not answer. Regina? Carolyn found no notes and saw no other signs that her daughter had been back to the house. She checked the answering machine, but Regina had left no messages. Carolyn called her daughter's friends and Regina's father in Houston. Hello, Chris. No one had heard from the girl. Is Regina there? The distraught mother reported her daughter as a missing person to Pasadena, Texas police. She spoke with a detective from the juvenile section, providing the officer with Regina's description. Her 14-year-old daughter was about five feet tall, weighed 95 pounds, and had long, curly brown hair. The detective asked Carolyn what steps she had taken so far to find her. Carolyn had posted missing persons flyers, but no one had yet responded. The worried mother hadn't heard from her daughter since they argued two nights before. At 9.30 that night, Regina told her mother she was going to visit a friend. When Carolyn objected, the girl insisted she would be right back. Against her better judgment, Carolyn relented, trusting that Regina would call if she stayed out later. Though the young teen had a history of running away, she always returned on her own. Her mother believed this time was different. Pasadena, Texas police detective Suzanne Jackson of the juvenile division was assigned the case. She understood Carolyn's concern. Several days passed and Regina would normally call her mom when she would leave home and let her mother know that she was okay and that she was just out. She would be back when she was ready to come home, and she had not done that. Carolyn posted more flyers at the convenience store close to her house. She held out hope that her daughter was unharmed. Maybe she was simply staying with a friend. Along with Regina's photo and description, Carolyn offered a reward for information on her daughter's whereabouts. Five days after Regina's disappearance, Carolyn received a phone call. The caller had seen Regina talking to two young men on the evening she left her mother's house. The person only knew the man as Billy and Ricky but she remembered that Billy had a girlfriend with a peculiar name of Urena. Carolyn immediately called police. The following day, a second caller gave Carolyn the address of an apartment where he had seen Regina at a party two days before. When police arrived, no one answered. The manager told them the apartment was rented to a man named Billy Wayne Gibbs. The next morning, the detective told her colleagues about the case. She mentioned she was looking for Gibbs in connection with Regina's disappearance. 
She was also looking for two others, a woman named Urena and a man named Ricky. She didn't know their last names. To her surprise, the officers did. Billy Wayne Gibbs had a girlfriend named Urena Sweet and a friend named Ricky Lee Jones. The three were wanted in connection with an auto theft. Units were dispatched to Gibbs' apartment to wait for his return. Officers patrolled the nearby road. After several hours of surveillance, they picked up 17-year-old Gibbs and his girlfriend Urena near his apartment. Police handcuffed the young couple and brought them to the station for questioning. The third suspect, Ricky Lee Jones, was still at large. Okay, so, um, how do I say this? Um, so I guess from now on, I'm going to actual, actually watch the documentary. Because <laughs> this seems like it's more like a show than an actual documentary on this guy you know what i mean can't hear you yeah but you want to know what though this is telling one of the the, the things of what he did which was actually kind of in intriguing okay so i just want to let people know there was another video that i was trying to get but for some reason it wasn't allowing me to so i got got this one but for future i'm gonna I'm going to watch them <laughs> just to make sure. Yeah. But uh, this is cool. This is cool. No, no, no. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. The arresting officer asked Gibbs if he had seen Regina or Ricky Lee Jones. Gibbs said he had spoken to them four days ago, but not since. He told police that Ricky and Regina were in love and planned to run away to Mexico where Ricky had relatives. The detectives suspected that 18-year-old Jones had another reason for leaving town. If he were caught with Regina, he could be charged with contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Regina was 14, and they obviously were boyfriend and girlfriend at the time. When they saw the flyers that the mother had left out with reward on her location, uh, they decided it would be best to leave the area so they wouldn't be caught. And that's when they decided to leave the area, hitchhike to Mexico. The detective learned that Ricky Lee Jones was already on probation for theft. Fleeing jurisdiction was a parole violation. She issued a warrant for his arrest. She also fed Regina's description into the NCIC, the National Crime Information Center, a database listing both victims and criminals nationwide. If Regina were located by any police department in the country, Pasadena, Texas police would be notified. Until then, with no known address or vehicle, it would be difficult to find the pair. 15 miles away, Houston police interviewed Jerry Walters, Regina's divorced father. He told them he had received a disturbing call on his unlisted home number on the evening of March 17th. The conversation was brief and Walters did not recognize the caller's voice. The man asked, are you Regina's father? When Walters replied yes, the man told him he knew where to find Regina. 
He said she was in a loft of a barn and that there had been some changes. He had cut the girl's hair. Regina's father asked if she was dead or alive. The caller hung up without answering. Detective Jackson asked Southwestern Bell to trace the call. The company told her it would take several days. Police would simply have to wait. Aside from the phone records, the trail of the missing 14-year-old and her boyfriend was stone cold. In March of 1990, Pasadena, Texas police detective Suzanne Jackson continued her search for 14-year-old Regina K. Walters. The girl hadn't been seen since early February when she left a friend's house with her 18-year-old boyfriend, Ricky Lee Jones. The detective's only lead was an anonymous phone call made to Regina's father on March 17th. The call had yet to be traced. On the same night Regina's father received his call in Houston, her mother in Pasadena, Texas also got a call. She recorded the conversation yeah. as police had advised. Yeah. An unknown man told Carolyn to meet him at 6.30 the next morning at the local convenience store. He had something to tell her about Regina, and he wanted to say it in person. Without giving his name or description, he hung up. Carolyn called Detective Jackson, who told her it was risky to meet the man. When Carolyn insisted, Jackson said police would go with her for protection. From a distance, officers kept an eye on Carolyn as she waited at the convenience store for the unknown caller. She had no way of knowing if the man knew who she was and no way to identify him. Her only hope was if he would approach her. She studied everyone who came in and out and everyone who used the phone. Carolyn waited over two hours. The caller never came forward. Thank you. Two days later, Pasadena, Texas police received the phone records for both calls to Regina's parents. They learned that the call to Regina's father in Houston was made from a gas station in Annis, Texas, 200 miles northwest of where she was last seen. The call to her mother's home in Pasadena, Texas, was made from a payphone only a few blocks away. At that particular time, it was obvious that we were becoming very concerned about Regina's whereabouts uh, with the phone calls and, and the uh, information that we received. We were pretty sure that there was going to be foul play involved. Two weeks later, Carolyn told Detective Jackson that the man who had called her before wanted to set up another meeting at the same convenience store. Police traced the call to a nearby payphone. The caller had already fled. On April 23rd, police found a partial skeleton of a small female near a riverbank in Pasadena, Texas. They determined the young girl's age and weight was close to Regina's. Detective Suzanne Jackson brought Regina's dental records to the medical examiner. I went to the ME's office with my information 
uh, we did a comparison on some dental x-rays and uh, found that this particular person was not Regina. Months went by with no leads. Regina's parents feared the worst. On October 12th, two boys were playing near a dirt road in Manville, Texas, 26 miles south of Houston. Close to the road, they came across a wood pile. They found something they'd never forget. Excuse me. Human remains. They ran home to tell their parents, who called police. Officers arrived and secured the area. They could not identify the body at the site. It was too badly decomposed, and there was no wallet or identification nearby. All police could guess was that the victim was a child or young adult. They hoped an autopsy would tell them more. The Pasadena, Texas detective traveled to the Harris County Medical Examiner's office, bringing Regina's dental records. So you almost have a match right the ME compared those records to x-rays taken of the corpse. They did not match. It was a little disappointing, although we were very relieved that it was not Regina. Her parents at this particular point were concerned that um, we were going to be recovering a body and we were not going to be locating Regina alive, and they were ready for some type of closure at this point. As the search continued in Texas through the fall of 1990, a farmer prepared to burn down his old barn in Bond County, Illinois. He hadn't been inside in years. The farmer climbed up into the hayloft to make one last check of the place. He looked through the abandoned building, but found only items long since discarded. Nothing seemed especially unusual or out of place. Then, something caught his eye. He looked closer at the strewn hay and saw a skeleton that appeared to be human. Yeah, right. The farmer immediately called police. In October of 1990, as Detective Jackson hunted in Texas for 14-year-old Regina K. Walters, a decayed body was found in the hayloft of an abandoned barn in Bond County, Illinois. Agent Mike Sheely of the Illinois State Police responded to the scene. I had received a call from the local sheriff's office in Bond County, Illinois, and they had instructed me that they had found a body in a rural setting uh, near the interstate, Interstate 70, which is a major interstate that travels through Bond County. Crime scene technicians conducted a thorough search of the barn. No clothes were found on or near the body. There was no wallet or other ID. They did find a single white thread close to the bones that seemed too new to have been in the old barn for long. Police photographed the remains from various angles. They found bailing wire that matched the wire wrapped around the corpse's neck. Some hair remained on the head. Because the skull was so small, police believed the victim was probably a child. The people of nearby Greenville had not seen a murder in 10 years. The anonymity of this crime was especially disturbing. Police had no way of knowing if the victim was from the area 
or just dumped there by someone passing through on nearby Interstate 7. At first, they weren't even sure of the corpse's age or sex. Forensic anthropologist Mark Johnsey was called in to conduct an examination. He made several discoveries that helped Illinois State Agent Mike Sheely begin to identify the victim. Mark was able to determine that it was a, a young female between the ages of 14 to 16, her approximate weight, which was 90 to 110 pounds. There was indication that her hair had been cut. Um, the distal ends had begun to grow again, but uh, the forensics had told us that uh, it was recent. The cause of death was determined to be strangulation. The killer had almost severed the victim's head by twisting baling wire around her neck 16 times. From the condition of the joints and vertebrae, Johnsy discerned that the girl was killed almost a year before. Hey, Joanne. Hey, Joanne. A forensic scientist analyzed the white fiber found close to the body. Maybe it would yield a clue to what the young girl or her murderer had been wearing. He determined the fiber was mostly cotton, but it didn't come from clothing. It likely came from a towel. Searching the National Crime Database, State Agent Mike Sheely listed the Illinois Jane Doe as a white female, 14 to 16 years of age, probably killed as early as September 1989. We were uh, alarmed to find that there was 950 matches uh, with, the, with the age group and, and the category and, and the time frame, uh, which, uh, which made the task very difficult uh, to begin the identification process. He narrowed the field to about 100 by specifying the victim's time of death closer to the spring of 1990. The investigator then sent teletypes to law enforcement agencies working those cases. The detective investigating the disappearance of Regina Walters in Pasadena, Texas, received the teletype on October 16th. She believed the body's description fit Regina's and phoned the Bond County Sheriff's Office in Illinois. The receptionist told her they had gotten so many responses that the sheriff would have to call her back. Before she hung up, the detective remembered the mysterious phone call Regina's father had received. The caller had said the girl was in a barn. When I asked her if the body was found in a barn, she immediately transferred me to the sheriff, in which I started talking to him right away. And it was immediately discovered that it was possibly Regina. And so we immediately jumped on that and started sending the teletypes back and forth. The detective asked another question based on the March 17th phone call to Regina's father. Did the girl in the barn have shorn hair? The Illinois authorities confirmed that she did. The girl found in Illinois matched the caller's description of Regina. We sent a copy of dental x-rays to Greenville, Illinois, to the sheriff's office. And those dental x-rays were matched with the body that was discovered there, and it was confirmed to be Regina's body. One question remained. Where was Regina's boyfriend, Ricky Lee Jones? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Detectives called on the FBI for help. Special Agent Mark Young, a behavioral expert in the Houston field office, was assigned as case agent. And I tried to go in and contact every person that had any involvement with uh, Ricky or Regina. I wanted to see if there was anything that they 
mentioned that would have proven valuable to uh, locate Ricky. At his former high school, Pasadena, Texas detectives also continued to pursue Ricky Lee Jones. That's right. A guidance counselor said that Jones had not been enrolled in school for the past year. She had little other information about him, though she did provide his last known address. It was the home of Jones's family. His sister, Tammy, was the only one there. She said that no one in the family had seen Ricky for over a year. They had written him off as a bad kid, believing he'd end up in prison. The detective asked if they had relatives in Mexico. Tammy said her mother had some in Matamoros, just south of the Texas border. Have you seen her? Jackson showed her a photo of Regina, but Tammy didn't recognize her. Okay, that's the last time. Has he left? Ricky was already listed as wanted because he had violated his probation. So we felt like maybe he was afraid to come home if he did know anything about Regina's disappearance and her death. We were in fear that he may not want to call and tell us what had happened or may be involved himself. As Special Agent Mark Young poured over the details of the case, he developed a profile of Regina's killer. The agent determined that 18-year-old Ricky Lee Jones probably did not commit the crime. If Ricky Lee Jones had murdered Regina, he would have done it in a fit of anger and that would have been reflected in the crime scene and you didn't see that. It was a very controlled, purposeful crime scene. You got the impression that this is an older person, a white male, a traveler, a truck driver, traveling salesman, somebody that had a reason to be across the country. The fact that the barn was close to an interstate supported Agent Young's theory. The crime scene told the agent more about the sadistic murderer he had stripped off Regina's clothing, killed her slowly by strangulation, and most notably, had cut Regina's long hair. Whoever did this crime was doing things beyond what was necessary to perpetrate the crime. Maybe a uh, sexual predator, sexual sadist, a person that had other offenses also. Investigators were alerted to another crime in the town of Marshall, Texas, 200 miles north of Houston. Partial skeletal remains of a young man were found, washed up on a creek bank. The skull had been perforated on the left side by a small caliber firearm. Though there was little evidence to positively identify the body, the victim's age and location led police to conclude it was probably Ricky Lee Jones. I came to the conclusion that uh, there were no other leads to cover in this case. For all intents and purposes, the case was closed in our division. We had nowhere else to go. To investigators, it looked like the man who had killed Regina K. Walters and her boyfriend had gotten away with murder. As the hunt for a sadistic killer ground to a halt in Pasadena, Texas, a thousand miles west in Arizona. I'm not trying to make a joke out of this or something like that, but he was cutting their hair. Yeah. Do you think he wanted to be a hairstylist or uh you know what? I was thinking the same thing. To be honest, like why would I'm you not making a joke of this, but no, you know, no, no. why are you cutting no, the no. hair? 
Yeah, why? Well, no, but you want to know what? He could be doing it because he could be keeping it as a souvenir. Yeah, but you think he would take a piece of clothing, a jewelry, or something? Not their hair. Like, I don't uh, understand. Like, people are sick. People I know are there's sick. A, I know there's a lot of... <clears throat> I've heard this before. Them cutting the cutting their hair. Like, I just think it's an odd thing to take. Because it's yeah. after a while. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... Do you think he had a fantasy of being a hairstylist, or I, don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> it's weird. only you. Only you. Yeah. encountered uh, a problem. No, on I wouldn't highways. say that, but I, I used to An be a Arizona hairstylist. Arizona highway patrolman so... was at the end oh. of his shift when he came across a tractor trailer parked on the side of an interstate on ramp. The rig had to be moved. It was a hazard to passing motorists. He noticed the lights were on and the engine was still running. As he approached the driver's door, Officer Michael Miller recalled that a man suddenly burst out of the cab and immediately spread his arms against the truck. And I asked him, I said, what's going on? And he said, nothing, officer. We're doing just fine. He said, just no problem. Uh, I, I've got a, a gun in my back pocket. And he motioned to his back pocket and then put his hands up on the side of his truck. This was kind of unusual situation. And I could still hear the woman screaming on the inside of the truck. Miller cuffed Robert Ben Rhodes and escorted the trucker back to his car to question him further. He said it was just well, it's fine. It's interesting they how were, this guy was uh, caught. Together in a, uh, I guess you would call it consenting right? situation. Yeah. And, uh, but I didn't know if the screams coming from the woman were the fact that she was startled she was surprised, but I was going to find out what the situation was. With Rhodes's hands cuffed behind his back, Miller seatbelted him into the patrol car. The officer returned to the truck to check on the frantic woman. He found her handcuffed to the wall by her wrists and ankles. The patrolman assured her she was no longer in danger. I told her, ma'am, you're going to need to remain here until I can get some help out here because this is a criminal or a crime scene and some detectives are going to have to look at this. I said, just remain calm. This man is not going to be back to bother you again. Just remain calm. I left the truck and moved back to my patrol car. Miller returned just in time. Rhodes had maneuvered his cuffed hands in front of him and released his seatbelt. He was about to open the car door. The officer quickly recuffed him. There wow. is no actual routine stop out there in the road wow. that no matter what you come across no, out there, got away. you never know who yeah. you're dealing with. And it kind of sent a chill up my spine to know that if this man, uh, as cool as he was, could have probably killed me and the girl at the same time and still been on the road. But you can't open the back doors from the inside, at least can from you? The town you can of only Casa open from the outside, right? Uh, well, not where I'm they from, at least. And transported her and Rose to the police station for further questioning. Inside the truck, they found a gruesome array of torture tools, chains that attached to rings welded to the back of the sleeper compartment, fish hooks, bloody towels, a horse bit, and a briefcase filled with the implements of a sexual sadist. They also found a camera in the briefcase, along with several hairs that did not belong to the woman found in the truck. Casa Grande police detective Rick Barnhart led the investigation. Robert Rhodes had a, 
what I refer to as a rape kit in his truck. He had all kinds wow. of paraphernalia. He had uh, long sticks with clips on the end where he would draw and quarter his victims. He had whips. And just based on that, I, I, I knew Robert Rhodes was a, a predator. The woman found know, the girl in the back in truck was 27-year-old Kathleen give that away either. Right. <laughs> she told the detective she had been picked up about an hour earlier from the Rip Griffin's truck stop north of Phoenix. He was trying to rape. When she dozed off in the sleeper compartment, the trucker climbed back, assaulted her, and chained her to the walls. The man told her his name was Whips and Chains and that he'd been doing this for 15 years. Police photographed her wrist burns from the handcuffs and welts from the beatings. She tried to fight off her attacker, but her hands were chained. All she could do to defend herself was to bite him. She managed to injure his left shoulder enough to distract him from raping her. Kathleen agreed to press assault and kidnapping charges, but Detective Barnhart believed she might be problematic for the prosecution. My interview with Kathleen was um, really sort of bizarre. She would uh, talk about this reality, this terrible assault that she endured, and then periodically she would revert back to a story about her traveling across the country to, to see the president. Oh, wow. She told me she wanted to give the president a microchip. And she talked about the underground prison where no one escapes from. And all this time, my heart was sinking because I, I needed Kathleen to tell a, a very lucid story about this, the horrible incident that happened to her. The detective asked trucker Robert Ben Rhodes for his version of events. Rhodes said Kathleen was crazy and described her as a lot lizard, the trucker's term for a woman who trades sex for rides. He claimed that she solicited him and that she liked it rough, though they never actually had sex. He refused to provide any details about what happened in the truck's sleeper compartment. He talked around the subject, never admitting to any crime. Police photographed Rhodes's wound. It looked like a bite mark on his left shoulder, just as Kathleen had described. Rhodes claimed he sustained the injury while loading his truck, but Detective Barnhart believed Kathleen's story. She told me she tried to bite his throat, but he moved and she bit him on the left upper shoulder. And we, we've got a photo of her bite mark, and her story completely corroborated, you know, what happened in that, in that sleeper cab. Local prosecutors arrested Robert Ben Rhodes and held him for aggravated assault, sexual assault, and unlawful imprisonment. But their only witness, Kathleen Vine, suffered from paranoid delusions. You let the smoke in your bars, they needed jail cell? additional witnesses. Right. Kathleen's what is that? claim that Rhodes had been kidnapping women for 15 years haunted Detective Barnhart. He entered Rhodes's name into the NCIC in case other agencies had reported similar crimes. As the detective pursued the case, it made headlines across the Southwest. A Houston police officer was among those who read about it. 
The trucker detained in Arizona sounded like the same man who was stopped outside of Houston earlier in the year. Police suspected Rhodes had held a woman captive in his truck for six days, raping and torturing her until she finally escaped. They were unable to press charges since the woman failed to identify him. Houston Police Sergeant Bomar described the case to Detective Barnhart. I was contacted by Sergeant Bomar. His was the case where the young lady escaped. I was fairly positive that Robert Rhodes was at least a serial rapist. I had suspicions that he might, he might be a murderer. Since Rhodes had crossed state lines since his last crime, Detective Barnhart contacted the FBI to request assistance. He hoped that with the FBI's support, he could gather enough evidence of the trucker's serial sex crimes to build a case that would stick. Special Agent Bob Lee of the Houston FBI field office knew the place to start was in Rhodes's Houston apartment. He spoke to Rhodes's landlord. She had checked the apartment after the trucker's arrest and was horrified to find bloodied torture devices. Based That's on her great. statement, Agent That's Lee great. secured a warrant to search the premises. We know that yeah, uh, serial rapists yeah. often keep souvenirs from their victims, uh, whether it be a piece of clothing or a piece of jewelry or whatever. When we went in, we found bondage paraphernalia, we found chains, we found handcuffs, uh, we found a rack that someone could be tied to. We found a lot of women's jewelry. Well, Agents I guess the Houston hair wasn't the uh, thing. Bloody white towels. No. You want to be a hairstylist. <laughs> and stacks of photographs. The snapshot wasn't very good at some it. women with shiny no. hair in various states <laughs> of dress, bound and bruised. Investigators believe that Rhodes shot the photos as souvenirs of his crimes to relive his victim's terror. Though agents now had evidence that Rhodes was likely a serial rapist, they were unable to identify any of his victims from the photos. With no additional witnesses, the case in Arizona was still weak. Prosecutors' only witness, Kathleen Vine, was questionable. A trial would be a contest of he said, she said, and a mentally disturbed woman might leave jurors unconvinced. By December 1990, the best Arizona prosecutors could do was to offer Rhodes a deal. Six years, including time served and work release eligibility, if he pled guilty to the charges against Vine. His attorney accepted. In about a year, Rhodes could be out on parole, stalking new prey. By October 1991, a year after 14-year-old Regina K. Walters was found murdered in Illinois, her case remained unsolved. Special Agent Mark Young, an FBI profiler, predicted the murderer was probably a trucker or traveling salesman with prior sexual offenses. His signature behavior was to hack off his victim's hair. Agent Young spoke to area law enforcement agencies hoping they had open cases that might match the profile. One day, Bob Lee, who was an agent in the FBI uh, on the violent crime squad, overheard me talking on the phone to a police officer. And he said, hey, I had a case I had worked uh, a few months back uh, where a truck driver kidnapped a young girl and her head hair was cut just like you're saying. The victim's name was Nicole Her head Tuttle. hair? 
She had also been raped like and had escaped the day Regina Walters and Ricky Lee Jones were last seen alive on Monday, February 5th, 1990. That same day, Houston police had stopped a trucker named Robert Ben Rhodes, who fit Nicole's description of her attacker. At the time, she told the officers it was the wrong man. Special Agent Bob Lee from the FBI's Houston field office recalled that Nicole later changed her story in the hospital where she was treated for her wounds. Later that night, she told the detectives that Robert Ben Rhodes was, in fact, the individual that had kidnapped her. When asked if she wanted to press charges, she told the police officer that all she wanted to do was go home. Lee also told Agent Young that Nicole was not the trucker's only victim. Rhodes was serving time in an Arizona prison for the assault of Kathleen Vine and was eligible for work release in just three months. The agent then described the search of the trucker's residence. And he said, we found some photographs in his apartment, some of his own pictures, uh, with somebody else with short hair, uh, who it seems like she was at a barn. The chilling photos portrayed a young girl at different locations, wearing a variety of seductive outfits. At the barn, she was in a black dress, shielding herself from Rhodes's camera. When I saw those photos, I said, this is Regina Walters. In order to verify that, I went to uh, the family, and I got several of their pictures. And uh, there are facial characteristics and markings that uh, exactly uh, duplicated the pictures Rhodes took. The FBI began to build a kidnapping and murder case against Robert Ben Rhodes. They revisited the evidence from the search of Rhodes's apartment and found more photos of Regina. They also found several articles of women's clothing, including a black dress, which lab examiners confirmed was the dress Regina had worn in the photos. Illinois State Agent Mike Sheely was notified. He forwarded the evidence found in the Greenville barn to the FBI lab in Houston. Lab examiners discovered that the cotton fiber recovered in Illinois was consistent with the bloody towels found in Rhodes's Houston apartment, but the results were inconclusive since that type of towel was so common. Detective Jackson from Pasadena, Texas, met with agents Sheely, Young, and Lee at the Houston FBI field office to discuss what they needed for a solid indictment against Rhodes, not only for Regina's murder, but for crimes against his other nameless victims. With Rhodes nearing his release date, okay. Illinois State Agent okay. Mike okay. Sheely knew they were racing against the clock. He was eligible for parole, and that he was actually eligible to work outside the prison almost on a release system. And so we were under pressure to, to have the indictments and, and to, uh, to get him arrested on our, our charges. You have a seat here. Agents interviewed Rhodes's former Houston employer, Mike Eggleton. The trucking firm owner was not surprised to see him. Eggleton had been questioned by authorities about Rhodes before. A few years back, local police suspected the trucker of assaulting a woman in the back of his rig, but no formal charges were ever filed. The truck Rhodes had driven had been sold, but Eggleton provided its vehicle identification number, as well as Rhodes's trucking logs and fuel receipts. While agents waited for a trace to come back on the truck's ID number, 
The team began to assemble a timeline of the truckers' travels. Agents found fuel receipts from a gas station in Ennis, Texas, dated March 17, 1990, the same place and date as the call made to Regina's father, Jerry Walters. Oklahoma City. Several of the local okay. calls to Regina's mother, Carolyn, also coincided with Rhodes's time in Houston. Okay. One question yeah, about the calls nice. remained. The killer could easily have gotten Carolyn's number from missing persons flyers posted around town. But how had he gotten Jerry Walter's unlisted home number? Agent Young found the answer in evidence stored in Arizona. It was in that evidence that we located Regina Walter's little spiral notebook. And the front cover was all of her personal information, her mother's address and phone number and her father's. When Young flipped the notebook over, he found something even more disturbing a message that he believed was written by Rhodes himself. A knife and gun were drawn above a phrase that appeared to have blood dripping off its letters. The phrase read, Ricky's a dead man. Only a DNA test would confirm if the partial remains of the young man found in Southeast Texas was Ricky Lee Jones. Unfortunately, investigators lacked a known source of Jones's DNA to perform a comparison. And everywhere else. Since Rhodes claimed to have been abducting and torturing his victims for the past 15 years, the team submitted their timeline to VICAP, the Violent Criminal Apprehension Program, an FBI database that lists thousands of solved and unsolved crimes nationwide. Despite the limited information and gaps in the timeline, Detective Jackson was not surprised when the system returned over 50 possible matches with open homicide and missing persons cases. His trips from Houston to Baltimore to LA and back in a matter of four to five days at a time could just give you an idea of how many people he has access to in remote locations that he could abuse these people and dispose of them. A week later, agents tracked down Rhodes' truck in Houston. Two years had passed since Rhodes had driven the rig. The cab had since been steam cleaned, repainted, and used by other drivers. But evidence of his crimes somehow survived. Wow. Wow, the investigators recovered a single strand of head hair that was consistent with Regina's. Miraculously, they also found a small fingerprint on the vinyl upholstery in the sleeper compartment that matched her prints. That proved she had been in the truck but it did not prove when or whether she'd been there against her will. By January of 1992, almost two years after Regina had disappeared, investigators determined the evidence was not decisive enough to prove interstate kidnapping. They dropped the federal case. With Rhodes' parole hearing just a week away, investigators convinced the Bond County prosecutor to press charges in Illinois for capital murder. They knew the evidence was circumstantial, but they pressed on. I feared that he could escape, and I also believe that due to the overcrowding in the prison systems and, and those sort of things, that uh, he could be released. <coughs> on February 6th, investigators traveled to the Arizona State Prison in Florence to serve the warrant to Rhodes. Their plan was to confront Rhodes with photos of Regina, hoping to prompt a confession. An incriminating statement would bolster their case. The suspected serial killer was unfazed, even smug. 
we spent approximately an hour with him but rhodes was was unwilling to to speak with us and denied any involvement in the death and was very very firm in his denials and at that point we knew that we were going to have to prove our case agents believed rhodes knew they were fishing for a confession because their evidence was weak they suspected this arrogant man was betting he could beat the charges. Maybe he believed that they didn't care enough about his victims to earn a conviction. A lot of serial offenders, whether they're killers or, or other sexual predators, will pick victims that they consider the forgotten people uh, because they, they're banking on that element that law enforcement and society doesn't really care about hitchhikers or uh, less wealthy people, less established folks. He preyed on that type of person in the hopes that, that he wouldn't get the attention that did happen. Almost two years after the death of Regina K. Walters and the kidnapping and sexual assault of at least two other women, Robert Ben Rhodes was extradited from Arizona to stand trial in Illinois. He and his attorney managed to delay the trial date for six months. On September 11th, the overconfident trucker lost his nerve. In a Bond County, Illinois courthouse, his attorney pled down the capital murder charge that carried a possible death sentence. He accepted an offer of first-degree murder with a penalty of life. Rhodes was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Even as he serves his time in a maximum security prison in Chester, Illinois, investigators have not abandoned the case. They continue to gather evidence committed to proving that Regina K. Walters was not Rhodes' only murder victim. There is one other picture of a female as yet unidentified that got into the truck with him. We're somewhat concerned whether uh, that may be another victim, anybody that gets into the comfort zone of the truck of, of a serial killer may potentially be a, another murder victim. Investigators continue to work on identifying the unknown women from Rhodes's past in hopes of bringing the small comfort of closure to their grieving families. Wow. 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 I tell you, it's not even safe on the road. Nope. He's smart. Yeah. I mean, very, sad, very to say, sad to say he was very smart. Yeah. Um, I will. I do want to point out something, though. His yeah. uh, father uh, was um, charged for molesting a 12-year-old girl. Well, that makes a lot of sense. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. No. And uh, awaiting his trial, he committed suicide. Oh, no way. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And wow. also oh. uh also uh uh Mr uh Mr Robert here, Mr Rhodes, uh also was in the Marine Corps. And wow. uh he was released on a dishonorable discharge. Wow. So um he tried to <laughs> this is the scary thing. Um and thank God this didn't happen, but he um, he tried to become a cop. Thank God that didn't happen. Yeah, and he didn't. 
he didn't pass the uh, he didn't pass some tests, and that's why I think it was the psychological test he didn't pass. <laughs> Whoa, no, really, right, <laughs> right. How do you feel about a, a dead animal on the road? And he's thinking in his mind, like, yeah, well, I think it's pretty cool. And they're just like, nope, not happening. And the reason he was uh, discharged from the military was because he was involved in a uh, in a robbery. Oh wow! That's why he was released from the Marines. Wow! On a dishonorable discharge. So this guy was, um, yeah, with his father and yeah, yeah. It's it's sad. Now the question is that I'm going to start saying every single week. I'm going to say this: Was he born to kill? Ooh. You know what? I think he was. Yeah. I don't think it was I don't think it was something that just came about in his life. I think it was something that he kind of was groomed on sadly through his environment. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um but where did but wh- where did the where did the torture come from though? That's what I'm always curious about. Yeah. Like the the cutting of the hair, the the whips the handcuffs the all of those things where did that where, where i think it's a dominant from? thing i think it's a dominant thing with these serial killers like they they don't have like a lot of them have either mommy issues or you know daddy issues and i think it's a like a power thing you know what they, i mean it's like they have powered over somebody you know and he was uh he was married uh i think three times uh, his last marriage, he was verbally, physically, and sexually abused his third wife. Yeah, that's and her sad. name was her name was Deborah Rhodes. So I believe that was his last wife. He was married three times. Uh, yeah, this sad. guy, uh, this guy, um, like I say at the beginning, this guy's a crazy one, crazy one, yeah. crazy, yeah, yep. crazy. And uh, you know, it's interesting now. Like I said in you know the beginning, this wasn't really. I guess it kind of was a documentary. It's more like a reenactment. But yeah, um, from now on, I'm gonna go through the video. <laughs> hey, but I liked it. I liked it. it told a good, yeah, yeah. It told a good story, so I liked it. So it okay. came out. It came out good. good. So, is there anything so, you want to say before we log yeah, off? Before, yeah, exactly. I want to say case. Close. No, no, not yet. You haven't even said no? goodbyes yet. I haven't said my goodbyes yet, man. Okay, yeah. fine. I never well, said my no. goodbyes. Okay, Let me say well, my goodbyes first. Yeah, I want to say thank your goodbyes first. Yeah. I want to thank everybody that came in the room today, and thank you for all the comments. And hopefully you shared this out. And if you haven't, please share it out for us. That would be great. And Absolutely. Uh, I, want to, I want to say goodbye to everybody, and we will see you next week. I think, I think next week's show... I think I'm going to do it on that guy from Canada. Okay. Let's my, that's let's all get I'm going to say. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. He's okay. from Canada. I spoke about this guy a few weeks ago. Uh, so I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to show that next week. So, and that's a good one. That's awesome. a real good one. Yeah. So awesome. Um, so thanks everyone. In. Yeah. Tune in, tune in and make sure to follow us on all podcast listening platforms. 
as we are now on there and we release every new episode on Monday to Tuesday nights. So make sure you check it out. Um, and other than that, follow us on Parapost Network Central on Facebook. But I'm sorry to say this, Robert Ben Rhodes, but case closed. Crazy.